You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Reports of a wide-ranging cyber espionage campaign by China's Ministry of State Security. Evil proxy phishing tool targets executives and defeats multi-factor authentication. Vulnerabilities in CPUs. Yashma ransomware targets a wide range of countries. Mac OS threat trends. Is there a Russian attempt to disrupt British elections? Rob Boyce from Accenture checks in from the Black Hat Conference. Maria Vermasis speaks with the Black Hat Aerospace Village's Kalin Tricon and Steve Luzinski. Ukraine claims to have stopped a Russian spyware campaign. And Patch Tuesday has come and gone, but the vulnerabilities remain. Unless, of course, you've applied the patches. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. Recorded Futures Insect Group has published a report on Red Hotel, a threat actor answering to China's Ministry of State Security that's prospecting targets primarily in Southeast Asia, but in other regions as well. Microsoft tracks Red Hotel as Charcoal Typhoon. SecureWorks calls it Bronze University. The operation appears to be run for the Ministry of State Security by contractors. Recorded Future thinks Red Hotel's activity is marked by unusual scope and intensity. They write... Since at least 2019, Red Hotel has exemplified a relentless scope and scale of wider PRC state-sponsored cyber espionage activity by maintaining a high operational tempo and targeting public and private sector organizations globally. The group often utilizes a mix of offensive security tools, shared capabilities, and bespoke tooling. The shared commodity tools include ShadowPad and WinTee, the bespoke malware includes Spider and Funny Switch. There's always an offense-defense seesaw. One rises, the other sinks, and then the process repeats itself. That's happening now in a spearfishing campaign Proofpoint describes in a report. Over the past six months, the company's researchers have been watching a surge in cloud account takeovers. The threat actors involved have been using a reverse proxy tool, Evil Proxy, in spear phishing campaigns that compromise multi-factor protected credentials and session cookies. It's an adversary-in-the-middle campaign specializing in advanced account takeover methods. That's the seesaw, using reverse proxy tools as a foreseeable criminal response to the growing adoption of multi-factor authentication security measures. 
Multi-factor authentication remains an important security tool, but as with any other technology, it isn't foolproof and doesn't amount to a panacea. There are two reports out this week on vulnerabilities in CPUs. The first affects Intel products. Several generations of Intel's x86 processors are vulnerable to a data leak flaw called Downfall, CyberScoop reports. Daniel Mohimi, a computer security expert at the University of California, San Diego, and Google found that an attacker running one application could exploit the flaw to steal passwords, encryption keys, and other sensitive data from another application. Mahomey told CyberScoop, When you have a vulnerability like this, essentially this software-hardware contract is broken, and the software can access physical memory inside the hardware that was supposed to be abstracted away from the user program. It violates a lot of assumptions we make in general about operating system security. Intel poured oil on troubled waters, saying in a statement that the attack researchers describe would be very complex to pull off outside of the controlled conditions of a research environment. AMD processors also exhibit a vulnerability of their own. Bleeping Computer reports that all AMD Zen CPUs are vulnerable to a hardware flaw that can leak privileged secrets and data using unprivileged processes. Researchers at ETH Zurich discovered the flaw and created an exploit called Inception that creates an infinite transient loop in hardware to train the return stack buffer with an attacker-controlled target in all existing AMD Zen microarchitectures. Cisco Talos warns that a new threat actor is using the Yashma ransomware against targets in English-speaking countries and also in Bulgaria, China, and Vietnam. The researchers say Talos assesses with moderate confidence that the threat actor may be of Vietnamese origin because their GitHub account name and email contact on the ransomware notes spoofs a legitimate Vietnamese organization's name. The ransom note also asks victims to contact them between 7 and 11 p.m. UTC plus 7, which overlaps with Vietnam's time zone. It seems the crooks clock in and out just like the rest of us. Talos also notes that the threat actor's ransom note mimics the one used by WannaCry. And why not? If you're engaged in extortion, what's a little plagiarism among friends? Bitdefender has released its macOS threat landscape report, revealing that Trojans pose the primary threat to Macs, constituting over 50% of identified threats. The study highlights that EvilQuest retains its status as the most prevalent malware targeting Mac systems, commanding a substantial 52.7% share. This malware strain encompasses a ransomware module designed to encrypt and exfiltrate victim files, accompanied by a keylogger for harvesting keystrokes and siphoning personal and financial information. Although the majority of antivirus providers are equipped to detect and thwart EvilQuest, its persistent prevalence suggests that attackers continue to deploy it in a scattergun manner, aiming to ensnare vulnerable victims in their wide-reaching dragnet. The Telegraph reports that the ransomware attack and attendant data breach at the UK's Electoral Commission may have been directed by Russian intelligence services. It may have been intended to disrupt British elections. While the incident was detected in October of 2022, the Electoral Commission only yesterday issued a public notification of the attack, 
considerable personally identifiable information was exposed, as is so often the case with Russian operations, it will be difficult to distinguish conventional cybercrime from cyber espionage and state-directed influence operations. Reuters reports that the Security Service of Ukraine, the SBU, also known by its translated acronym SSU, said yesterday that a Russian attempt to compromise the Ukrainian Armed Forces Combat Information System had been detected and thwarted. According to the record, the SBU identified the threat actor responsible as the GRU's sandworm. The Ukrainian security agency says it stopped the Russian military operation in its planning phases. Sandworm's goal is thought to have been the compromise by spyware of Android devices used in Ukrainian tactical networks but the SBU didn't reveal the specific systems the GRU had targeted. Ukrainska Pravda cites SBU sources as saying Sandworm was trying to work from Ukrainian tablets captured on the battlefield. Their intention was to use those devices to access Ukrainian networks and use that access to spread about a dozen spyware programs. And finally, August's Patch Tuesday arrived yesterday. It saw upgrades to some widely used products from several vendors. Adobe released patches for 30 vulnerabilities affecting Acrobat DC, Acrobat Reader DC, Acrobat 2020, and Acrobat Reader 2020, Security Week reports. Microsoft patched 33 products. The company also released a defense-in-depth update to block the attack chain for an actively exploited Windows Search remote code execution vulnerability. And Fortinet has issued a security update addressing a buffer overflow vulnerability affecting 40 OS. The flaw may allow a privileged attacker to execute arbitrary code via specially crafted CLI commands, provided the attacker were able to evade 40 OS stack protections. As CISA likes to say, apply upgrades per vendor instructions. Coming up after the break, Rob Boyce from Accenture checks in from the Black Hat Conference. Maria Vermatsis speaks with the Black Hat Aerospace Village's Kaylin Tricon and Steve Luzinski. Stay with us. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com slash cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. 
multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Maria Varmatsis is host of the T-Minus podcast, focusing on all things space. She recently spoke with the Black Hat Aerospace Village's Kaylin Tricon, Director of Communications, and Steve Luzinski, Board Chair, about the Aerospace Village nonprofit, their mission, and their programs. Here's Maria Varmatsis. Kaylin, Steve, there's a lot going on at the Aerospace Village at DEF CON this year. <laughs> if you can start us somewhere and walk me through it, that'd be awesome. One of the things that I am just super proud of and excited for is the wide range of talks that we have in the village this year. You know, when we started this five years ago, we were the aviation village. Now we are the aerospace village, and we are really seeing that come into itself. We have tons of talks for space, satellites, aviation. We also have one that has to do with weather and weather satellites. And weather balloons. And weather That's balloons. That's super cool. Yeah. I think that what this what this shows us is that we really are bridging the gap and reaching the different communities that we are trying to reach by seeing the diversity in these talks. A few that I'm I'm super excited for, um, and I think that our, our listeners will be excited to to mark their calendars for is one talk called "Winging It: Pen Testing a Seven Thirty Seven." I'm a, I'm a bit fearful of that, but I think it's going to be a really engaging talk. That feels like very DEF CON to talk about something terrifying and cool at the same time. <laughs> exactly. And I think, you know, one of the things that we always say, and, and we really do promote it through our messaging, is that, you know, we don't want people to cause hysteria and think planes are falling out of the sky. We want to actually show the real world security challenges that this ecosystem faces to pile on to what Kaylin said, you know, that that government side, the growth we've seen over these five years. Um, we've got a person from TSA coming in to talk about uh, the screening systems and the cybersecurity involved with that. We've got uh, two nice ladies from the Office of the National Cyber Director, and they're coming in to talk about things from National Cybersecurity Strategy and the Workforce Strategy that's recently published. But they also do work with the National Space Council. So their perspective from that high-level government side of things all the way down to the deep technical and, and things like what Kaylin's mentioned on both space and aviation. I'm excited. I get to do a talk with the TSA administrator, hearing his perspective on both space and uh, av aviation and space-related cybersecurity concerns, the industrial control systems at airports, spaceports, all of that. So in addition to the talks, we have activities that are 
very deeply technical and very complex on the run side of things. And we've also got activities that are very simple and straightforward uh, in the like a crawl, walk, run mentality. So capture the flag events being hosted by Boeing, by Lockheed Martin. The aviation ISAC has brought in students from Embry-Riddle. Uh, we've got students in our talk track. We've got students running these capture the flags. Uh, we have other smaller companies uh, like CT Cube, Intelligenesis, uh, showing some of their training systems, some of the industrial control systems as it relates to runway lighting and the security behind those and how they demonstrate that. SpaceX is going to have one of their ground stations there. Uh, it sounds like they're going to have a spacesuit and an engine. So it's just good to have some cool things to look at. Uh, we'll have an Airbus cockpit. Uh, one of our, uh, again, another partner of ours, Pentest Partners, they have built an Airbus cockpit and they use that to demonstrate. I'm sorry, a cockpit. <laughs> yes, yes. yes. And, and yes, it will be there for fun, the fun of flying it also. So, uh, but demonstrating <laughs> the photos alone, flight right? bag. And exactly. <laughs> and, and they're going to have actual aircraft seats. So we're going to have, uh, you can, your experience of flying out there, being uncomfortable and flying home, you can do that in our village. Uh, so we have all of that. Um, and one other event I've been working on this lately is an Ask Me Anything. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, we're, we've got all these experts, right? We've got experts that are our volunteers, that our volunteers are pilots, former pilots, military, commercial, all the way to people who've done policy and government, policy and industry, the security researchers who are, they've been doing it their entire career. And then we have all these partners and experts that are coming in either speaking or the activities that we talked about. And so folks want to learn from them where you can sit down and say, hey, I want to learn about getting into cybersecurity. I want to learn about getting into cybersecurity in aviation or space sector. And you can hear from folks. If they want to talk about where they work. If you want to know about it, great. But the idea is experienced people who come from a government an industry, an academic, a security researcher background. You can ask them any questions that you want. You can hear more about what they did, how they got in, the goods, the bads, all of those things. And that brings us to what I'm going to call the satellite in the room here, which is we haven't talked about it in depth yet, but um, this year, Pakistan finals are going to happen at DEF CON on a satellite that is in space, Moonlighter. Um, so cool. It is orbiting so in space. Neat. It is so cool. I'm such a nerd. I'm so excited to bring Hackasat to in, in this competition. I'm working with the Air Force and the Space Force to to actually do this and have it be live in space with these finalist teams. I think it's just going to be something that is incredible. It's such a testament to all of the work that the community that the village has done. Well, and the beauty is Hackasack covers both the activity side, like what Kayla mentioned. So, uh, so both on the speaking side and come see it live in action side, we're going to have a CubeSat. The CubeSat known as the Project Moonlighter that Kaylin mentioned is a CubeSat launched in June, deployed off the uh, ISS uh, in uh, July. That's what's orbiting. That's what they're hacking on for this capture of the flag. But we have one because Cal Poly's bringing one in and uh, you can talk to folks about how it works and, and what it does. DEF CON is such an amazing, overwhelming event, uh, especially for someone who might be new. So um, I'm just going to close with like a, a newbie question. If someone's going to DEF CON for the first time and they want to go to the village, your village, what would you recommend they start with first? I know it depends on what they're interested in, but let's just <laughs> just go with that. 
I would say I, I, it wasn't too, too long ago that I was a newbie DEF CON, DEF CONner. And I, I would say, you know, if you're entering the aerospace village, look for someone in a blue aerospace village t-shirt and just go up to them and, and ask them, you know, share what your interests are and we will help make sure that you have the best first experience that you can have. You know, we have so many incredible volunteers with such incredible backgrounds and, and we want you know, we want people to have a great experience and to take something away and to learn something they didn't know when they entered the village. So look for somebody in an aerospace village t-shirt. That is my advice. And and I think what you let off with Maria is having tried to do everything at DEF CON because there's so many villages, so many activities, so many talks, you got to stand in line or you're going to miss out on the talk. Just pick something Maybe it's our village for the entire day. We would love to have you. Just like Kaylin said, talk to somebody in a blue shirt or one of the nice neon vests that we're bringing this year so you know who the volunteers are and they can point you in the right direction. Uh, but really, that focus so you can actually enjoy DEF CON as opposed to just get totally whooped uh, trying to do everything because we're only one small portion of DEF CON, right? So yeah, just being able to make your way around and calmly enjoy and spend time in each place is the recommendation I'd offer. Some earned wisdom there, indeed. I don't follow it myself, but I offer I it. And I try, to get, I try to do it, but I, I fail. So, yeah. It's a lot. It's a big event. Kaylin and Steve, I wish you all the best at DEF CON this year. And a quick reminder to check out the T-Minus podcast right here on the CyberWire Network. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show, Robert Boyce. He is Global Lead for Cyber Resilience and Managing Director at Accenture. Uh, Rob, it's great to have you back. I want to touch today on some work that I know you and your colleagues there at Accenture are doing when it comes to some things you're tracking on the dark web. What's going on here? Yeah, thanks, David. First of all, it's always a pleasure to be here. So thank you again for hosting me. Uh, Yeah, we've actually been seeing a really interesting uptick in the uh, focus uh, of threat actors in OT systems, you know, and I think OT systems have you know long been vulnerable to cyber attacks, and we've known that, and we have seen some very focused attacks in the past. Uh, but you know, quite honestly, the majority of OT impacts we see today uh, are usually uh, leakage from an IT incident or you know some self-imposed um, shutdown due to uncertainty of what an IT incident uh, may ha- may cause to an hmm. OT environment. Um, and so we've never, you know, and I would say maybe even before 2021, right, when we saw the Colonial Pipeline uh, disruption, we saw threat actors really stay away from crossing the line into national critical infrastructure and oil and gas uh, due to potential, you know, what, what it could mean, uh, you know, in, in the state of, you know, real potential warfare. Um, and then uh, when we actually saw that event happen, because there was so much focus on this area, we saw a lot of dark web marketplaces take down uh, their OT uh, tools and advertisements and, and things that they were talking about because they just didn't want to have that focus. It was just too but much then, heat? I think a little bit too much heat. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then what we saw uh, starting really when the Russian-Ukraine conflict happened 
is those rules started to go a bit out the window. And so, you know, our team who has been researching this, we've seen a significant uptick really around into May this year, where we're seeing more and more threat actors on the dark web start talking about uh, targeting OT systems. And really, OT systems of Western national critical infrastructure, uh, as well as oil and gas. That's been the focus. And when we say targeting, what what exactly are, are we talking about here? They're looking to buy access into these environments. They're looking for people who are creating exploits within the OT infrastructure or OT systems so that they are able to, you know, of course, successfully be able to cause disruption. I think the thing that's really fascinating to me here is we're seeing, this is one of the first times I've seen this, where we're seeing three different ideologies really have motivations in this space. Meaning, you know, we're seeing hacktivists, of course, want to be able to target OT systems to, you know, maybe make headlines in a meaningful way by causing, you know, national disruptions. Uh, we're seeing financially motivated cyber criminals get into this space. Just, of course, big surprise for money. Uh, and and as, as we see more and more um, requests or more and more demand, you know, obviously there is more interest for these financially motivated criminals to be able to produce, um, you know, produce uh, materials, uh, assets that, that can help further exploitation in OT environments. And then we're seeing, of course, the political motivated um, threat actors. And this is largely, as you can imagine, representing Russia against all enemies of Russia. That's the most popular we're seeing there. Uh, but it's been, it's been quite interesting to see these three ideologies, for one of the first times I've seen, all come together with a singular mission, but for different purposes. And is it kind of coincidental that, that those th- three different directions are confer- converging? I don't know if it's coincidental. I, I really, again, I do think that the Russia-Ukraine conflict has opened the door to... Uh, I want to say encourage this behavior, but to, to make it not as to make it more acceptable, right? Like, so I, I feel like, and a lot of it is in terms of you know hacktivists again targeting Western, primarily Western national critical infrastructure as well as oil and gas, to, it, it, to, because of you know in support of uh, Russia Ukraine conflict, uh, and then of course the the, the political motivations similar and, and you know and when you have financially motivated criminals i think they just follow the money right where the demand is so i, I don't know if it's is, is coincidental i think it's just all of the right reasons came together to really create almost what we would say is a perfect storm of opportunity for these three groups yeah so based on what you all are seeing here what are your recommendations for those folks who are responsible for ot security Great question. And this has been uh, quite honestly a, a challenge we've seen in industry. I think there's been this um, false notion that attackers will not be as successful in OT environments because there's this concept of logical and physical separation, which we now know, well, even if it was ever true, I'm not sure, but we now know is definitely not true because we're seeing that leakage from IT to OT consistently when we see the disruptions in OT today. And as well, like there's a huge investment that needs to be made by threat actors to maybe even purchase physical equipment to try and find uh, vulnerabilities within that equipment. But now that these threat actors are so well funded, that and the equipment's much more readily available, even that is reduced the barrier to entry uh, for the for interest here. So, you know, the first thing I would say is organizations who have a large OT footprint, especially again in you know national critical infrastructure and oil and gas need to understand that the threats to the OT environment are the same as the threats to the IT environment. 
And I always find it interesting because the OT operators, they measure their business in terms of minutes sometimes uh, of as far as, you know, downtime as a, a direct correlation to impacted revenue loss. And, and so, you know, the way that they think about OT, they think about it more from resiliency, from uptime, uh, human safety. Uh, and so what we find works very well is to create those same themes from a security perspective and start to educate um, the OT operators on why cyber risk is this, is a very similar risk as that you would see and how it directly impacts resiliency and uptime and revenue. And so I guess, again, going back to your question, in the spirit of like, it's, it, it's, it just needs to be a, a business objective to secure OT uh, and the risks there need to be understood clearly and the messaging of the importance of cyber really needs to be framed up in a way that the OT owners and operators will understand and how it correlates to the impact of their business. All right. Well, Robert Boyce is Global Lead for Cyber Resilience and Managing Director at Accenture. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Dave. the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by our editorial staff. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.